I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing China's impact on the developing new energy vehicle industry and the challenges that the initiative has faced both domestically and from abroad. In November 2018, CSIS released a report by Dr. Scott Kennedy with the CSIS Freeman Chair in China Studies titled "China's Risky Drive into New Energy Vehicles." The report analyzes the strategic and economic motivations behind China's decision to make the development of new energy vehicles or NEVs a top national priority. The results have varied despite massive government support. While China now has the world's largest NEV market and improved battery quality, issues like overcapacity, environmental effects, and negative responses from international competitors may hinder the future of China's NEV industry. To discuss findings from his report and China's NEV ambitions, I'm joined by Dr. Scott Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy is a senior advisor in the Freeman Chair in China Studies and director of the Project on Chinese Business and Political Economy at CSIS. His work focuses on Chinese economic policy, including industrial policy, technology innovation, and U.S.-China commercial relations. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here with you, Bonnie. So, in 2015, China became the world's largest market for new energy vehicles. Annual domestic sales of NEVs、um, is predicted to reach two million、uh, in China by 2020, which apparently is 20 times more than in the United States. So, can you talk briefly about the impetus for Beijing's decision to prioritize the NEV industry? Sure. Really, three reasons why the Chinese government has sought to promote electric vehicles and new energy vehicles of all sorts. First, is that China has had a car industry for twenty-five, thirty years,、uh, but they、uh, and they formed joint ventures with、um, the best、uh, car companies everywhere,、uh, all of whom have、uh, set up production in China. But Chinese companies haven't used those opportunities really to get ahead.、Uh, The internal combustion engine is very difficult to master、uh, and to advance, and electric cars have a very simpler、uh, motor and propulsion system. So this is one way to get around that obstacle. The second is that China is now the world's largest importer of oil. Uh, much, of, much of that oil goes into Chinese cars. So if you can switch to、uh, new electric vehicles, uh, you uh, decrease your oil imports.、Uh, Decrease your dependence on the Middle East and its politics. Finally, I think everybody knows China's got some seriously horrible air pollution, and therefore anything you can do to reduce uh, uh, pollution, improve the quality of air,、uh, will score points amongst the Chinese public. So those are the three reasons why、uh, Beijing's been so interested in the industry.、Uh, they haven't fulfilled, addressed all of those goals so far, but that's basically the reasons they've、uh, launched into the program. According to your report, the Chinese government has spent nearly fifty billion dollars in support of this new energy vehicle industry. So, with that in mind, how much of a role has the state played in the development of the new energy vehicle sector? One hundred percent. This is a top-down initiative. Talk to your average Chinese and say, "Do you have an electric car?" And some will say yes. Say, "Do you like electric cars?" I don't know. 
this is still an ethical choice, and there is not a big market. Uh, but in order to fulfill these uh, goals that I mentioned before, the Chinese government has thrown billions and billions, uh, accounting for something like 40-plus percent of all spending coming from the government. And that doesn't include all the benefits that every company in China gets in terms of free land uh, or low-cost land, uh, tax benefits, all the other things. It's it's really unbelievable uh, how much the government is supporting. And then they have uh, generated policies to uh, increase supply of cars and demand. Uh, through, for example, limiting license plates that can be issued for folks that want an internal combustion engine car, for example. Uh, so that's the source of this uh, ex uh, commercial activity is, is the government. Now, just about everywhere uh, where NEVs have, have started to increase uh, their, their sales and visibility, the government's played a big role because the market by itself wouldn't support the sector. So the, the concern isn't whether or not the Chinese government plays a role. It's the type of role. It's whether it can adapt and adjust uh, as it faces these challenges. And that's important not just for China's auto market, but given China's scale for the global auto market. So what's the pluses and minuses of that state support? Has that led to positive outcomes? And in some cases, I assume there's been negative outcomes. Maybe you could talk about that. Sure, sure. It's it's a, a, a mixed bag almost with everything in China. And um, certainly addressing uh, auto emissions and the problems that come from the conventional car and trucks and everything. Anyone, you know, you and I have been going to China a long time. You probably remember when you were first there and what uh, cars belching out this gross stuff was like and and sitting behind them and on the streets, this can address that to some extent. And you've got, you know, hundreds of companies, uh, some very innovative that have been brought into the industry, uh, who are not just your old state-owned behemoths, but trying pretty cool stuff. Uh, the quality of the cars, the quality of the batteries uh, have improved gradually. Um, China is now a big producer of buses. I noticed that last week uh, there's reports that Shenzhen, this year will sell have 16,000 electric buses uh, on their streets. Washington, D.C. has 14. So uh, a little different. And, and so those are positives. On the other hand, because it is so top-down and so much money going at it, uh, there really is overcapacity problem, uh, which we've seen in other industries like solar and wind and steel. And as a result, that m uh, the ups and downs of, of, of the sector make it difficult for uh, good companies to distinguish themselves from bad companies and survive. You've got to basically have ridiculously deep pockets to uh, survive as the market doesn't respond and buy the cars that have been produced. Uh, you've also got technology lock-in as a problem where lithium-ion battery is not bad. It's a lot better than others, uh, but there's better technologies potentially on the market that could do even better at using uh, less energy to propel a car and more cleanly. Hydrogen fuel cells, for example, could potentially be that. They have three to four times the range of a lithium-ion battery, but they're way more expensive, and China's not really investing in them, and it may not be possible for others to do so. The other issue is pollution. You know, obviously, a big impetus with China's NEV sector is to get rid of pollution. But really, so far, uh, what the policy has done is moved pollution in China from coastal cities where there's lots of drivers and cars to the interior China where 
uh, there are less cars, less drivers, uh, but that's where all of China's coal is burned, uh, which then comes over uh, through the electric grid to uh, charge these these car batteries, which is why some people call electric cars in China coal cars. Uh, now, that's not guaranteed that it has to be that way, but China's energy mix needs to shift quite a bit so that these cars are originally produced uh, from cleaner energy and that they really are reducing uh, overall emissions and the carbon footprint for China. Can you talk about the ways in which China's new energy vehicle industry differs from the industry elsewhere, North America, Europe? Um, what are, are there similarities? I assume there's more differences than similarities. The first difference is just how gosh darn huge it is. I mean, the United States, well, we have like 10 significant automakers, right? Most of whom have maybe one or two cars that are hybrid or pure electric. Um, in, in China, you have, again, hundreds of, of these car companies. Uh, some of these car companies you definitely have never heard of. Even Chinese haven't heard of these car companies. And they produce these little tiny, like, smart cars. It basically is the body with a car wrapped around it uh, that gets you, you know, it doesn't get very far, but it's good for urban driving, your, your basic daily needs. Um, and you can charge all over the place. Uh, in, in several cities in China, the charging is relatively uh, ubiquitous. Um, but these are, um, I think it's just the how numerous uh, these, these companies are, how much support is behind them. Again, b- because the U.S. industry is so focused still on internal combustion engines, they haven't reoriented themselves entirely to new energy vehicles. They've started. Uh, GM, Ford, and others have announced plans that by 2022, 23, a significant portion of their fleet will be electrified so that you can get an uh, internal combustion engine model or an electric model. Uh, and part of that is, is a reaction, reaction to China. But it, it's just so interesting how, I guess the other difference is how complete the supply chain is in China. From the raw materials to the batteries, to the final producers, uh, and, and on. In the United States, we, we, ex- we really don't have any big battery producers at all. The, uh, the uh, Gigafactory that Tesla has, that's done in cooperation with Panasonic, a Japanese company. So uh, that is, you know, there's not been the demand in the United States, which has then driven commercial investment uh, where we've seen that in China. You mentioned the charging stations. Um, it's my understanding that it still takes a minimum of about 30 minutes to charge a car. So how does this work where people are driving around and then they do they go have lunch and charge their cars? <laughs> yeah. Um, you can you can get about an 80 percent charge in about 15 minutes um, in a station uh, where like you know, if you, you drive in a public station uh, in your in your home or in your office, it's a trickle charge. It's going to be slower. It's going to you, hopefully it'll charge while you're at work. Most people don't have uh, dem- put demands on their car that require that to get to that full charge that gets to the two or three hundred kilometers on a trip. So usually that's not a problem. But you're 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 definitely right that the sentiment amongst the public is, is that um, charging a car is very different than pumping gas that one is much quicker and much easier to find. And as a result, that's one of the biggest hindrances to folks willing to take take this leap. Um, 
Neo, uh, one of the most interesting car companies in China, uh, just listed recently. Uh, they have uh, multiple ways in which uh, they provide, in which you can charge their cars. Uh, one of which is they will send mobile charging stations to you. It's like the size of the room we're in, uh, and the car they push a button, and your car autonomously drives into that charging station uh, and replaces the battery. Actually, it drops years out and, and puts another one in. Um, that's a very expensive uh, proposition for, for NEO uh, because of you, how much how many batteries you need and the ability to get any place. Uh, it was really interesting, NEO in September when they were still getting getting settled as uh, there was a, a someone who had bought a NEO car in in Shanghai and they were going out for um, a holiday at the end of September outside Shanghai. And so in order to service them, uh, three trucks followed this one electric car. Uh, these three trucks were internal combustion engine cars uh, to, to be able to service it. So it was kind of funny how much energy they put into making it. So China hasn't solved that problem yet, or, and no one has solved the quick charge problem. What we'll need is much better grid infrastructure. You will need to be able to uh, spread out the charging so that folks different times of the day will charge. Therefore, you, you, you won't put too much stress on your grid. Um, eventually, we'll, we'll maybe get technology where you can get a very quick charge in just a few minutes, but we're still a little ways from that. So what does the industry look like globally? Are, are these Chinese manufacturers facing uh, competition? And is China's ambition after they have captured the domestic market to ultimately capture the global market? The uh, I mean, the Chinese have entered this space where there's existing technologies elsewhere, stronger brand elsewhere, but not a whole lot of capacity because of um, the, the global uh, auto leaders have decided not to invest a lot in in electrification until just now. So uh, so for the moment, the Chinese, kind of like with WeChat Pay or Alipay, there's not a whole lot of opposition right there at the moment. And, and these folks are, are filling the, the, the breach for the time being. You know, Tesla is just op- is in the middle of opening a factory in Shanghai. Tesla's brand recognition is very strong in China, and if they could produce a lot more cars, uh, they would sell a lot and and take up a bunch of market share. Uh, once Ford, Honda, Toyota, Daimler start producing electric cars in significant numbers, uh, they will begin to eat in significantly to the Chinese market share. But that will be at the top of the market, right? I think China's goal is, uh, as you hinted, uh, not just to produce for China but for the world. Um, China's market is by far the largest. It's three times the size of the American market, and these companies can produce globally. China, I believe in 2017, it exported 100,000 electric cars, mostly the smaller smart cars, 78,000 of which went to Bangladesh. Now, I don't know what it is about Bangladesh that puts it out at the forefront <laughs> of the world in terms of electrification, way ahead of the United States. Uh, but gosh, uh, so there's going to be other places like that in, in South Asia, Southeast Asia, Latin America, Africa, where the Chinese certainly will go. Look, look where Huawei has gone, and electric Chinese electric car company probably be there to follow up behind. So the main obstacle for the United States is not going to be price. It's going to be can they generate capacity quickly enough, given that they've not ramped up very quickly. It, it takes a while to ramp up in the Chinese uh, 
can can increase uh, production capacity as well as just about anybody. Usually, an assumption that a uh, a new energy vehicle is more environmentally friendly than uh, a car that has a, an internal combustion engine. And but if you consider all of the production aspects of uh, of these um, uh, new energy vehicles, including batteries and the challenges of recycling. I mean, are they overall as, are, are they more environmentally friendly than our traditional cars? Um, I think if you took all the different components uh, from the steel to the other materials that, that, that make the body, um, the components that go into the brakes, everything, uh, electric cars are going to probably be uh, more environmentally friendly uh, than internal combustion engine cars simply because of the difference in the propulsion systems and and the energy that that, that creates them uh, nevertheless electric cars have have environmental downsides particularly if you are the Democratic Republic of the Congo um, and uh, all of the world's almost all the world's cobalt comes from the DRC. Um, and uh, cobalt now is an increasingly important ingredient that go in lithium-ion batteries. And um, Chinese have invested scads of money in the DRC. DRC is uh, not a super well-functioning democracy with a vibrant civil society there to protect their environment. Uh, in addition to uh, DRC, the other elements of, of the battery from, from um, uh, nickel, to the lithium, uh, to other other parts of it, come from many different places, and, and those have to be done in an environmentally conscious way, and, and that's not always the case. The, there's lots of civil society unrest and protest ab about this in, in many places. Um, on the back end, uh, the battery, the, these car batteries uh, have, have a half-life, naturally, simply because of their chemistry, they only can last a few years. and. Uh, you can um, um, claim them, uh, recycle, separate the chemicals, uh, and use much of it again. That's a, that's still a very expensive process. You know, you need you're going to need the equivalent of of waste management, that company uh, that that does, that provides the same type of service, but for car batteries and does it as efficiently. Uh, there are companies that are involved in this, but still, because we're in early years, as you said, in China, there is not. And folks, when you buy my car, uh, I have a not very fancy Toyota Sienna minivan, but it has 195,000 miles on it. That's f 15 years old, right? No electric car battery is going to last you more than three or four years. So I would have to have gone through three or at least three batteries uh, or four batteries uh, to get to this stage. Uh, we, we don't have that infrastructure yet on, on the back end. And then again, as I mentioned before, the uh, what is the what is the source of the energy that creates the electricity for the charging? That's critically important. In China, uh, seventy plus percent of energy still comes from fossil fuels, sixty plus percent from coal. Uh, and so, in, uh, as China moves in a more sustainable energy direction, uh, these cars will be uh, more uh, will contribute to uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions uh, and um, improve helping with the environment. But it's, it's not a straight shot. There's a lot of work that has to be done by industry and by government and by consumers to, to make this uh, a, a, a not just um, commercially successful, but good for the environment as well. 
As we look over the next few years, what kind of technological breakthroughs do you think um, might uh, emerge that would affect this uh, electric car industry? Uh, will there be uh, a replacement for lithium batteries, for example, uh, and what kind of regulatory changes might take place that would affect the industry? Um, I think there could be four potential technological changes. The first is improving either the chemistry of lithium-ion batteries so that you get a longer range, safer batteries, uh, you've heard about fires and things like that. Those are very rare, but nevertheless, they can happen. It's also difficult uh, in the cold, and lots of China, a lot of the world, have very cold environments during much of the year, and the range of the batteries are much lower when, it, when it's cold out. So there may be improvements in the battery technology, either lithium-ion batteries or, or reducing the cost of uh, hydrogen fuel cells or other biofuels or other things. Uh, secondly, uh, car chassis. Uh, one of the, the biggest determinant of the range of these cars is how heavy the cars are. And by having lighter materials in the car chassis, not steel, carbon fiber, and other things, um, that could help quite a bit. Carbon fiber is difficult because, as you know, carbon fiber uh, of different qualities has different applications, civil, military. And so while the Chinese are running around the world looking for carbon fiber, everyone has to be very careful about the dual-use potentials. Uh, for that. Um, in, in addition, um, I think one of the key questions is going to be about um, transportation models and the shift potentially away from personal ownership towards rideshare um, and uh, autonomous. And if you get autonomous rideshare electric, which some people think is the perfect sweet spot for China, that could really propel the industry. At the moment, it's very difficult to have electric be a very high proportion of rideshare because if you're not sure about uh, how long the car battery has charged, what its range is, it's difficult for a driver to commit to be able to have their car serve just anyone. Um, I think in uh, Uber or Lyft, uh, they've made a special program to have electrification, at least 20% of their fleet or something. So DD and others might be able to do something like that, and you could see that increase over time. Um, if we do move toward rideshare autonomous, then you're going to see fleets of these cars. Uh, brand recognition isn't going to be as important. Uh, I don't know about you, but the last time I took a, a rideshare, I didn't. I have no idea the brand of the car that I was in. Uh, no one. No one remembers. You remember what's in your driveway. You just don't remember the car you got in. Um, and so that would also help the Chinese quite a bit relative, because the hood ornament has made such a difference uh, in how this industry develops. So those technological developments, business model changes uh, could uh, either propel the Chinese industry further or create obstacles if uh, rideshare doesn't expand as people expect, if autonomy takes a lot longer to implement. Then we're looking at a sort of a more traditional industry dynamics where the difference is really about propulsion uh, as opposed to anything else. So maybe finally you could just talk a little bit about um what are the implications of either great success or failure in this industry for China? This is one of the 10 strategic industries that uh, has been identified under uh, the industrial policy made in China 2025. Uh, and uh, clearly Xi Jinping has attached importance to this. Um, is, is this sort of seen as the test case as to whether China can dominate a major industry in the world? And if so, um, again, what, is, what are the implications of success or failure? 
Well, there's a significance of this case for the auto sector and transportation as a whole, which is a multi has multiplier effects for the rest of these economies and, and for China. Should the Chinese um, you know, continue to spend as much as they have by the government and others and not develop the charging capacity infrastructure around the country and these cars will, will then still be uh, a niche product and there will be overcapacity. And that will cause a debt problem. There will be car company failures, employment consequences. Probably won't have that dramatic effect uh, if, if, if there's failure on China's overall economy. I think if, if, if it's a winner, then the effects could be tremendous because uh, China has the ability to go global and scale up extremely quickly, uh, and that could have a huge effect on uh, the automakers in the United States, Japan, and Europe, and their ability uh, to continue to be successful in, in the 21st century. So um, I think that's a challenge that they ought to face and embrace, not be super scared. Of, of course, the Chinese are sitting on a lot of state uh, financing, and so auto companies in the West are probably to compete, to scale up as quickly. They're also going to need to look for new creative uh, sources of long-term financing that, that make it capable of, of, of competing. Uh, in terms of what this means for China's overall high-tech ambitions, um, I think uh, you need to compare this to some other sectors where the, 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 the source of success isn't innovating in a technology where no one else has been before. Uh, but but scaling up and connecting that scaling up to uh, you know a, a uh, protected demand that you can count on over the long term. Uh, so I think this speaks to what the Chinese are trying to do in robotics um, and and other high other high tech elements of Made in China 2025 uh, like that. I don't think it's it's as applicable to what they're trying to do in artificial intelligence or quantum computing. Uh, or even semiconductors, uh, because the technological demands of those are so much higher. And really, the challenge for China there is to be really at the forefront of innovation, not just scaling up and having a business model that, that makes sense. So for this significant sector in its own right, but a little bit different from, from some of the ones that we hear more about, like AI. We've been talking with Scott Kennedy, who's a senior advisor in the Freeman Chair for China Studies and director of the Project on Chinese Business and Political Economy at CSIS. And you can read his report, which is again entitled China's Risky Drive into New Energy Vehicles at CSIS.org. Thanks for being with us today, Scott. Thanks so much, Bonnie.